0: section 46 of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume 1 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume 1 by george lilly crake chapter 4 part 22 other elizabethan poetry in the six or seven years from fifteen ninety 1590 to fifteen ninety six what a world of wealth had thus been added to our poetry by Spenser alone what a different thing from what it was before had the english language been made by his writings to natives to foreigners to all posterity but england was now a land of song and the busiest and most productive age of our poetical literature had fairly commenced what are commonly called the minor poets of the elizabethan age are to be counted by hundreds and few of them are altogether without merit. If they have nothing else, the least gifted of them have at least something of the freshness and airiness of that balmy morn, some tones caught from their greater contemporaries, some echoes of the spirit of music that then fill the universal air. For the most part the minor Elizabethan poetry is remarkable for ingenuity and elaboration, often carried to the length of quaintness, both in the thought and the expression. But if there be more in it of art than of nature the art is still that of a high school and always consists in something more than the mere disguising of prose in the dress of poetry if it is sometimes unnatural it is at least very seldom simply insipid like much of the well-sounding verse of more recent eras. the writers are always in earnest whether with their nature or their art they never write from no impulse and with no object except that of stringing commonplaces into rhyme or rhythm even when it is most absurd what they produce is still fanciful or at the least fantastical the breath of some sort of life or other is almost always in it the poorest of it is distinguished from prose by something more than the mere sound warner the three authors of the poems of most pretension with the exception of the fairy queen that appeared during the period now under review are warner drayton and daniel william warner is supposed to have been born about the year fifteen fifty eight he died in sixteen o nine he has told us himself in his eleventh book chapter sixty two that his birthplace was london and that his father was one of those who sailed with chancellor to muscovy in fifteen fifty five this he says was before he himself was born warner's own profession was the not particularly poetical one of an attorney of the common pleas according to anthony wood who makes him to have been a warwickshire man he had before fifteen eighty six written several pieces of verse whereby his name was cried up among the minor poets but this is probably a mistake none of this early poetry imputed to warner is now known to exist and in the preface to his albion's england he seems to intimate that that was his first performance in verse written he says have i already in prose allowed that is with the approbation of some and now offer i verse attending indifferent different censures impartial judgments in his dedication to henry carey the first lord Hunsdon, he speaks of a former book which he had dedicated to the son of that lord to him that from your honour deriveth his birth this we suppose must be his prose work entitled syrinx or sevenfold history pleasant and profitable comical and tragical of which the only edition known to exist is dated fifteen ninety seven but which was licensed in fifteen eighty four and was probably first printed about that time in the dedication to his poem he explains the meaning of the title which is not very obvious this our whole island he observes anciently called britain but more anciently albion presently containing two kingdoms england and scotland is cause right honourable that to distinguish the former whose only occurrence occurrences i abridge from our history i entitled this my book albion's england albion's england first appeared in thirteen books in fifteen eighty six and was reprinted in fifteen eighty nine in fifteen ninety two and fifteen ninety six and fifteen ninety seven and in sixteen o two in sixteen o six the author added a continuance or continuation in three books and the whole work was republished without however the last three books having been actually reprinted in sixteen twelve in this last edition it is described on the title-page as now revised and newly enlarged by the author a little before his death it thus appears that so long as its popularity lasted albion's england was one of the most popular long poems ever written but that was only for about twenty years although the early portion of it had in less than that time gone through half a dozen editions the continuation published in sixteen o six sold so indifferently that enough of the impression still remained to complete the book when the whole was republished in sixteen twelve and after that no other edition was ever called for till the poem was reprinted in chalmers's collection in eighteen ten the entire neglect into which it so soon fell from the height of celebrity and popular favour was probably brought about by various causes warner according to anthony wood was ranked by his contemporaries on a level with Spenser, and they were called the homer and virgil of their age if he and spencer were ever equally admired it must have been by very different classes of readers albion's england is undoubtedly a work of very remarkable talent of its kind it is in form a history of england or southern britain from the deluge to the reign of james i but may fairly be said to be as the title-page of the last edition describes it not barren in variety of inventive intermixtures or to use the author's own words in his preface he certainly as he hopes has no great occasion to fear that he has grossly failed in verity brevity invention and variety profitable pathetical pithy and pleasant in fact it is one of the liveliest and most amusing poems ever written every striking event or legend that the old chronicles afford is seized hold up and related always clearly often with very considerable spirit and animation but it is far from being a mere compilation several of the narratives are not to be found anywhere else and a large proportion of the matter is warner's own in every sense of the word in this as well as in other respects it is greatly the advantage over the mirror for magistrates as a rival to which work it was perhaps originally produced and with the popularity of which it could scarcely fail considerably to interfere though a long poem not much under ten thousand verses it is still a much less ponderous work than the mirror absolutely as well as specifically its variety though not obtained by any very artificial method is infinite not only are the stories it selects unlike those in the mirror generally of a merry cast and much more briefly and smartly told but the reader is never kept long even on the same track or ground all subjects all departments of human knowledge or speculation from theology down to common arithmetic are intermixed or rather interlaced with the histories and legends in the most extraordinary manner the verse is the favourite fourteen syllable line of the age the same in reality with that which has in modern times been commonly divided into two lines the first of eight the second of six syllables and which in that form is still most generally used for short compositions in verse more especially for those of a narrative or otherwise popular character what Warner was chiefly admired for in his own day was his style maries in his wits treasury mentions him as one of those by whom the english tongue in that age had been mightily enriched and gorgeously invested in rare ornaments and resplendent habiliments and for fluency combined with precision and economy of diction warner is probably unrivalled among the writers of english verse we do not know whether his professional studies and habits may have contributed to give this character to his style but if the poetry of attorneys be apt to take this curt direct lucid and at the same time flowing shape it is a pity that we had not little more of it his command of the vulgar tongue in particular is wonderful this indeed is perhaps his most remarkable poetical characteristic and the tone which was thus given to his poem being no doubt that of his own mind may be conjectured to have been in great part the source both of its immense popularity for a time and of the neglect and oblivion into which it was afterwards allowed to drop that warner's poetry and that of spencer could have ever come in one another's way is impossible albion's england must from the first have been a book rather for the many than the few for the kitchen rather than the hall its spirit is not what it has been sometimes called merely naive but essentially coarse and vulgar we do not allude so much to any particular abundance of warm description or freedom of language as to the low note on which the general strain of the composition is pitched with all its force and vivacity and even no want of fancy at times and graphic descriptive power it is poetry with as little of high imagination in it as any that was ever written warner's is only at the most a capital poetical business style its positive offences however in the way of broadness and indecency of illusion are also very considerable and are more pervading run more through its whole texture than the same thing will be found to do in the writing of any other eminent poet of that time when the poem was first produced the middle classes in general for whom we must suppose it to have been principally intended were still unrefined enough not to be scared or offended by this grossness but rather to re- relish and enjoy it this is proved by the eagerness with which so many editions were called for in so short a time. We do not believe that, as has been said, its publication was at one time interdicted by the Star Chamber for no other reason that can now be assigned, but that it contained some love-stories more simply than delicately related the prohibition by the star chamber was of the first edition and apparently before it had been published and the ground seems to have been merely the invasion of the property of one printer by another in whose house the seizure of the copies he had thrown off was made by the wardens of the stationers company he it is stated having been forbidden to print the book both by the archbishop of canterbury and by the wardens and his doing so being also contrary to the late decrees of the honourable court of star chamber if the book had been attempted to be suppressed for the nakedness of some of the descriptions it probably would not have appeared at all whereas it was given to the world that same year from the press of another printer and was afterwards freely multiplied as we have seen in a rapid succession of new editions but by the first years of the next century a new generation had grown up and even among the most numerous class of readers a change of manners had taken place which made it impossible that such a work as albion's england should retain the favour it had once enjoyed it was probably now universally voted vulgar and held to have been suitable only for a more barbarous age nevertheless the poem as we have said has very remarkable merit in some respects and many passages or rather portions of passages in it may still be read with pleasure it is also in the highest degree curious both as a repository of our old language and for many notices of the manners and customs of our ancestors which are scattered up and down in it all that is commonly known of warner is from the story of argentile and curing which has been reprinted from his fourth book by mrs cooper in the muse's library seventeen thirty eight and by percy and his reliques and that of the patient countess which percy has also given from his eighth book we all endeavour to select a few such short passages as may convey a fair notion of what the work contains and of the manner in which it is executed it is difficult for the reason that has been stated above to find many pages at least in the more interesting parts of the poem that can be transcribed entire the following passage from the third book being the conclusion of the seventeenth chapter is a specimen of warner's very neatest style of narration he has related caesar's victory over the britons which he says was won with difficulty the conquest of the country having been only accomplished through the submission of that traitorous knight the earl of london whose disloyal example in yielding his charge and city to the foe was followed by the other cities and then he winds up thus but he that won in every war at rome in civil robe was stabbed to death no certainty is underneath this globe the good are envied of the bad and glory finds disdain and people are in constancy as april is in rain whereof amidst our serious pen this fable entertain an ass an old man and a boy did through the city pass and whilst the wanton boy did ride the old man led the ass see yonder doting fool said folk that crawleth scarce for age doth set the boy upon his ass and makes himself his page anon the blamed boy alights and lets the old man ride and as the old man did before the boy the ass did guide but passing so the people then did much the old man blame and told him churl thy limbs be tough let ride the boy for shame the fault thus found both man and boy did back the ass and ride Then that the ass was overcharged each man that met them cried now both alight and go on foot and lead the empty beast but then the people laugh and say that one might ride at least the old man seeing by no ways he could the people please not blameless then did drive the ass and drown him in the seas thus whilst we be it will not be that any pleaseth all else had been wanting worthily the noble caesar's fall The end of Richard the third in the sixth book chapter twenty six is given with much spirit now richard heard that richmond was assisted and on shore and like an kennel cerberus the crooked tyrant swore and all complexions act at once confusedly in him he studieth striketh threats and treats and looketh mildly grim mistrustfully he trusteth and he dreadingly doth dare and forty passions in a trice in him consort and square but when by his convented force his foes increased more he hastened battle finding his corrival apt therefore when richmond orderly in all had betailed his aid enringed by his complices their cheerful leader said now is the time and place we friends and we the persons be that must give england breath or else unbreathe for her must we no tyranny is fabled and no tyrant was indeed worse than our foe whose works will act my words if well he speed for ills to ills superlative are easily enticed but entertain amendment as the jer- jurgis did christ be valiant then he biddeth so that would not be outbid for courage yet shall honour him though base that better did i am right fair lancastrian he in york's destroyed right usurpeth but through either source for neither claim i fight before the country's long lacked weal for england's peace i wore wherein he speed us unto whom i all events refar meanwhile had furious richard set his armies in array and then with looks even like himself this o the light like did say why lads shall yonder welshman with his stragglers overmatch disdain ye not m- such rivals and defer ye their dispatch shall tudor from plantagenet the crown by craking snatch no riches very thoughts he touched the diadem he wore boo metal of this metal then believe i love it more than that for other law than life to supersede my claim and lesser must not be his plea that counterpleads the same the weapons overtook his words and blows they bravely change when like a lion thirsting blood did moody richard range and made large slaughters where he went till richmond he espied whom singling after doubtful swords the valorous tyrant died others of shakespeare's historical or legendary subjects are also in albion's england particularly the story of lear and that of macbeth in the former which is in the third book chapter fourteen the following well-turned lines occur his aged eyes pour out their tears when holding up his hands he said o god whoso thou art that my good hap withstands prolong not life defer not death myself i overlive when those that owe to me their lives to me my death would give thou town whose walls rose up my wealth stand." evermore to tell thy founder's fall and warn that none do fall as lyra fell bid none affy in friends for say his children wrought his rack yea those that were to him most dear did loth and let him lack cordella well cordella said she loved as a child but sweeter words we seek than sooth and so are men beguiled she only rests untried yet but what may i expect from her to whom i nothing gave when these do me reject then die nay try the rule may fail and nature may ascend nor are they ever surest friends on whom we most do spend the three last books forming the continuation published in sixteen o six are occupied with the history of the scots and welsh and the story of macbeth is told in the fifteenth book chapter ninety four shakespeare's witches as they are commonly called are here designated the three fairies and also the weird elves there are occasionally touches of true pathos in warner and one great merit which he has is that his love of brevity generally prevents him from spoiling any stroke of this kind by multiplying words and images with the view of heightening the effect as many of his contemporaries are prone to do His picture of fair rosamond in the hands of queen Eleanor is very touching fair rosamond surprised thus ere thus she did expect fell on her humble knees and did her fearful hands erect she blushed out beauty whilst the tears did wash her pleasing face and begged pardon meriting no less of common grace so far forsooth as in me i did quoth she withstand but what may not so great a king by means or force command and darest thou minion quoth the queen thus articled to me with that she dashed her on the lips so dyed double red hard was the heart that gave the blow soft were those lips that bled then forced she her to swallow down prepared for that intent a poisoned potion but we must also give an example or two of the eloquence of another kind with which the poem more abounds much of it is in the style of the following curious passage from book nine chapter forty seven the younger of these widows for they both had thrice been so trots to the elder's cottage hers but little distance fro their cowering o'er two sticks across burnt at a smoky stock they chat how young men them in youth and they did young men mock, and how since threescore years ago they aged fourscore now men women and the world were changed and all they knew not how when we were maids quoth the one of them with no such new-found pride yet served thy gentle, seeing store of dainty girls beside. Then wore they shoes of ease, now of an inch broad, corked high, black carsey stockings worsted now yea silk of youthful stye, garters of lists but now of silk, some edged deep with gold, with costlier toys for coarser turns than use perhaps of old, fringed and embroidered petticoats now beg, but her jew named till now of late burke's periwigs mask plumes of feathers framed supporters pooters, fartingales above the loins to wear some tiring art attire their heads with only tresses bare some grosser pride than which think i no passed age might shame by art abusing nature heads of antiqued hair do frame once lacked each foresaid term because was lacking once the toy and lacked we all those toys and terms it were no grief but joy but lawful were it some be such should all alike be coy now dwells each in her glass when i was young i wot on holy days for silden else such idle times we got a tub or pail of water clear stood us instead of glass my parents they were wealthy and myself in wanton youth was fair enough but proud enough so fool enough in true i might have had good husbands which my destiny withstood of three now dead all grief is dry gossip this ale is good in faith not one of them was so for by this drink i swear re the cup we and her lips imparted where, when the other bell great with chat for talkative cups. the former's prate not worth the while thus fondly interrupts when i quoth she the country left to be a london lass i was not fairer than myself believed fair i was good god how formal pranked and perp became i in a trice as if unto the place it were a nature to be nice and so the dialogue proceeds though with more spirit than refinement for a couple of pages farther in another place book fourteen chapter ninety one a lar or elf is introduced in vain against the decay of ancient manners in the following strain to farmers came i that at least their loaf and cheese once free for all would eat but found themselves the parings now to need so do their landlords rack their rents though in the manor place scarce smoked a chimney yet did smoke perplex me in strange case i saw the chimneys cleared to fire where ne'er the less it smoked so bitterly as one not used to like it might have choked but when i saw it did proceed from nostrils and from throats of ladies lords and silly grooms not burning skins or coats great belsebub thought i can all spit fire as well as thine or where am i it cannot be under the torrid line my fellow incubus did put me by that fear and said it was an indian weed that fumed away more wealth than would a many thousands feed freed of that fear the novelty of coaches gave me so as from their drifts and cluttering i knew not where to go these also were quoth incubus to our avail for why they tend to idle pride and to hind hospitality with that I comforted did then peep into every one and of my old acquaintance spied many a country joan whose fathers drove the dung-cart though the daughters now will none i knew when prelates and the peers had fair attendance on by gentlemen and yeomanry but that fair world is gone for most like ye who hurry with pedanties two or three yet all go down the wind save those that hospitalious be greatest ladies with their women on their palfreys mounted fair when through the streets well waited on their artless faces bare which now in coaches scorn to be saluted of the air i knew when men judicial rode on sober mules whereby they might the suitors these and they ask answer and reply i knew when more was thrived abroad by war than now by peace and english sphere where they befrompt since hostile terms did cease but by occasion all things are produced decrees times were when practice also preached and well said was well done when courtiers cleared the old before they on the new world run when no judicial place was bought lest justice might be sold when quirts nor quillets overthrew or long did causes hold when lawyers more deserved their fees and fatted less with gold when to the fifteenth psalm sometimes had citizens recourse when lords of farmers farmers of the poor had more remorse when poverty had patience more when none as some of late illiterate ridiculous might on the altar wait, etc. Warner's most abusive invectives, however, in which he exhausts the vocabulary of the kitchen and the streets, are directed against the old religion, but we cannot afford room for any further specimens. End of section forty six